Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Old Testament, from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Second Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Now when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as they formerly did. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a freshman in college, I took an intro to philosophy class. It was a fun little class with just a, a small group of students and one professor, and we got to sit around and really do some mental exercises and, and look at many of the philosophical questions that have been asked for ages. The idea was to kind of whet our appetite and maybe even entice a few of us to become philosophy majors. That didn't work for me. But there was one question that I do remember, one illustration that I still remember. It was called the Ship of Theseus. The illustration goes like this. There was a, a great warrior, a Greek warrior named Theseus, and he had a wonderful ship, a ship that carried him into many battles. But as he used the ship again and again, there were times where parts of the ship would, would rot away because it was made of wood, or parts of the ship that would be damaged by the battles where they were uh, fighting together. And so bit by bit, the ship had to be replaced. Pieces, one by one, pieces of the deck, the mast, the sails, even the oars that the, the fighters used, they all had to be replaced little by little until at some point the ship was completely replaced one piece at a time, sometimes several times over. And the question we were asked was, is it still the same ship? None of the pieces are the same, but it's still called the ship of Theseus. Is it still the same ship? What gives the ship its identity? What makes a ship a ship? I had a similar experience several years ago when I went to go hear a, a concert for the Temptations, the Motown band. And I love the Temptations and I love Motown. So it was a, a great opportunity for me to go and, and hear them in concert. 
When I got to the venue, though, I realized that there was really only one original member of the Temptations performing that night. And so I had to ask myself, are they really still the Temptations? Is it really still the same band? Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be asking ourselves a similar question. Are we still the church? And what makes a church a church? As you know, right now, we're not able to do a lot of the things that we're used to doing. We're not able, able to worship together. We're not able to eat food together in the fellowship hall. We're not able to do all of those fun, joyful things that we like to do together. And so the question we have to ask is, how can we still be the church even when we're not able to do what we're used to doing? We're going to answer that question by looking at several illustrations throughout the Bible of holy places, several different examples of holy places, and see if we can learn what it means to be the church and how we can still be the church during this difficult time. And today, we're going to look at the tabernacle. In our passage this morning, David begins by telling his friend Nathan that he wants to build a temple for God, a great, big, wonderful temple, a palace that is fit for God. He tells his friend Nathan, and, and Nathan tells him to go off and, and do exactly what he thinks he should do. Now, up until this time, God has dwelled, lived in a tabernacle. It's a place that held the Ark of the Covenant. And in many respects, it was like a really big, glorious tent. A tent that had beams, a tent that had cross beams, a tent that could be set up and taken down and taken wherever the people of God went so that the people of God always had God right there with them. The, te the, the tent, the tabernacle, stayed with the people of God, even led the people of God into the promised land, led the people of God into battle against their enemies. And so when David says, I am ready to build a temple for God, God responds by saying, no, it's not time for you to build me a temple. I'm still building a kingdom. I'm much better off in the tabernacle. Now, you and I might think, why would God not want a temple? After all, King Solomon's going to build a temple for God a little bit later. Why would God not want King David to build this temple? But maybe it's because God knows that David has some ulterior motives. Because you see, if you go back and you look at chapter 6, just the chapter before the part that I just read, there are two stories about the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, that are pretty important. They're short stories. The, the first one is about a time when the people of God were, were taking the Ark of the Covenant, taking it into the city of Jerusalem, heading down the road to Jerusalem. And while they're going down the road, they go over a little bump and the Ark jostles a little bit. And a man named Uzzah jumps and, and grabs the Ark to try to stabilize it. Little did he realize that the presence of God was powerful, overwhelmingly powerful. And so when he reached out and touched the ark, he died. And King David saw this and he realized that the presence of, our, of God was dangerous. And so he wanted to be protected a little bit from that danger. So he reached out to a friend of his, a man named Obed-Edom, and asked him if he would take the ark into his house and care for the ark himself. And so Obed-Edom was a faithful man, did exactly that. And, and the people in Obed-Edom's house were, were blessed because Obed-Edom cared for the ark. He took care of it, and, and the, God blessed his family again and again. Well, David saw those blessings, and he was kind of stuck in between. 
He wanted the blessings of the presence of God, but he was afraid of the danger of the presence of God. And so he had an idea. He thought, I will build God a great, big, glorious, beautiful box to live in. A great big palace, a temple where God can dwell, where I can go to God anytime I want to and and talk to God and receive God's blessings and show my faithfulness to God. But then when I'm ready, I can go away from God and do the things I want to do, follow my own will while God is back up there in the temple. Now that might seem like a little elementary explanation of this because we know that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and omnipotent, but The truth of the matter is, many times we live out our faith exactly like that. We are thankful for our faith. We love our faith. We love our church and our faith and our God when we receive blessings from all of those things. We love our church when we receive blessings from our church, the blessing of our community, caring for each other, reminding each other how much we're loved and how much God loves us and gives us grace. We're so thankful for our church and so thankful for the presence of God when we receive those blessings from God. But from time to time, we would like to take all of those blessings and then put God in our pocket or leave God behind on a Sunday morning and go back out into the world where we can do what we want to do and not accept the danger of God's calling. For just as God's blessings are overwhelming and wonderful, God's calling can be dangerous to us. God's calling calls us to go out into the world and and offer ourselves in self-sacrifice, to love our neighbor even greater than we love ourselves at times. God calls us to do dangerous things, to go to dangerous places so that we can help those people in need, that we can fight for justice for those who need it. God's calling to us to be faithful disciples can be dangerous. And so from time to time, we would like to sort of leave God behind, back up here at the church, and and go on and live our lives. But that's not what the tabernacle is about. The tabernacle means God is on the move. The tabernacle means God goes with us wherever we might go. At my previous church, the senior pastor there, Lane Alderman, had a little phrase that he shared all the time, mostly in his benedictions. I've shared it with you before. He would say, God goes with us every step of the way. People loved that phrase. They wanted to hear that phrase every time they saw Lane. They would say, just please share that phrase with me. It reminds me that God's with me, even even especially now in difficult times. God goes with me every step of the way. It was a phrase that comforted people at funerals and inspired people at weddings. And every single Sunday, people loved to go out into the world knowing that God was still with them. But Lane was always quick to remind them that that's not always a comforting phrase. Because we need to remember that just as God is with us here when we're joyful and happy and faithful, God is still with us watching us when we're unfaithful, when we're doing the things that God doesn't want us to do. When we're being frivolous with our money and at the same time people around us can't pay their electric bills, God is with us and God sees us. When we're tempted to break our promises or be unfaithful, God is still with us and God still sees us. When we're tempted to do the things that are selfish for us, ignoring the people around us who are broken and hurting and are truly in need. That's what the tabernacle was about, that God is with us, leading us out into the world, calling us to follow God, even when it's dangerous, even when it's difficult. 
Which means that the church, if we're going to be like the tabernacle, can't be hidden back here behind brick walls and pine trees, but it has to be out there in the world, following the tabernacle, following God wherever God might go. There's a wonderful old illustration by the great Scottish preacher George MacLeod. I've shared it with you before and you've heard it. It goes something like this. George was walking to Kirk one day, walking to his church, and as he walked down the street, he looked up and realized that someone had thrown a rock through one of the stained glass windows there at his church. He knew it was probably just a a child playing in the street, and he didn't think much of it, but when he walked into the sanctuary, he saw that the stained glass window was one of the Christmas stained glass windows, a depiction of the shepherds and the angels there on Christmas night. And there where the angels were singing, you could read the words, glory to God in the highest. But somehow that little rock had found its way through the E in the word highest. So now when he read that stained glass window, it said glory to God in the high street. Glory to God in the high street, the main streets in all of the towns and villages in Scotland. The main streets where people spent money and the main streets where people begged for money. The main streets where people went out and got the things that they needed and the main streets where so many people lived where they didn't have anything that they truly needed. And George MacLeod said that's what the church is all about. Not to give glory to God just in the high places with churches with high steeples, but out in the high streets, in the main streets where people are in need, where people are living and moving and acting and need God's presence most of all. And so if we're going to be the church, we have to be like that tabernacle out in the world living and acting for the people of God. That means that our church, while the building might be located right here on the corner of John Knox and Meridian, the truth of the matter is the church really goes far beyond that. The church is the church down on the corner of Pensacola and Dupree. The church is the church way up at Bannerman Road and all the way down to Orange Avenue. The church is the church over here at Waverly Road and all the way down to Okaloosa Street. The church is the church everywhere where people are in need and God leads us to fight for justice and to help those people who are hurting. For there are truly people around us who are hurting right now. Now you may be wondering, Brad, how can we be the church right now if that's what we're called to do? We're supposed to be social distancing. We're supposed to be isolating ourselves. But I'm going to give you a really easy way. A few months ago, I put a, a little sheet on our website, a page on our website that gives a list of several of our mission partners and some of their most basic needs right now. You can go to that website, faithpcusa.org volunteer, and you'll see a list of those agencies that we partner with every single day. And you can use your money and your energy to help those people in need. There's a, a, a list of things that the Kearney Center needs, and they're hurting right now. They're having to, to rent out motel rooms to, to help the overwhelming numbers of people who are, who are homeless and need shelter right now. You can help the people over at Elder Care Services, those people who are, are trying to reach out and care for the most vulnerable people in our community right now, older adults who can't pay all of their bills, who can't keep their electricity on. You can go and, and donate money to them just by going to that page. 
the Second Harvest Food Bank that's feeding people all around us, or Grace Mission, which right now is collecting school supplies for those children who don't really have a choice about whether they're going back to school. They have to go, whether it's safe or not. You have the chance right now to be the church out in the world just by going and donating your money and your time and your energy and your prayers to those agencies in need. Because that's what the church is. It's obviously not a building. It's not bricks and mortar. The church is a group of people who follow God out into the world, who follow that tabernacle out into the world to offer mercy and to fight for justice wherever it is needed. That's who we are called to be. If we're still the church, even now, we have to be like that tabernacle. To be on the move everywhere we go. To accept God's blessings, but also face that danger unafraid. Because there are people out in the world who need to know God's love and grace. Who need to know that they haven't been forgotten by God. Who need to know that Faith Presbyterian Church is still here and stands by their side. They need to know that even now, this church is still on the move. So let it be so for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Amen.